Thank you, thank you. Oh, bro, it pisses me off so much. Like, fucking so, so much. Yes, indeed, it is that time once again that you settle in and take a listen to the uh, laconic, I nearly said iconic, iconic maybe in a year or two's time, definitely the laconic drawl of both myself, Angie, along with my esteemed colleague and cohort, co-founder of Vicar Guy Pro, Jamie, and we're here with another Icky Procast. How are you, Jamie? I'm doing good, man, and it's good to be uh, joining you once again. I feel like the more and more that we introduce this uh, podcast, the more esteemed I feel just by your introductions, which is fantastic. Oh, again. There's the love heart I'm making with my fingers. Now, on today's show, we will be having a, a bit of small talk, of course. We'll, we've got to talk about the Oscars at some point, so we will do that. Um, we will be uh, looking at news items. A bit of a heavy one, again, as always. You know, those of a sensitive disposition, uh, be warned. Today's show goes into some heavy items, including um, a campaign, which is for the greater good, could be quelled by allegations against a CEO's son. Uh, the Oscar-nominated James Bolger film you can't find anywhere for it to be shown on a lighter note bowser's taking over nintendo from reggie and our main focus for today's podcast will be is comedy becoming too problematic or is comedy simply going through a renaissance okay so i mean bit of small talk to begin with jamie did you catch any of the oscars uh, I won't lie, I was one of those terrible people that was actually at work, but a lot of other people uh, in my general vicinity seem to have a lot of Oscar parties, which I, I didn't realise that's becoming more and more of a thing. I know, um, I, I guess back in the in the old days, people used to take time off work to actually watch the Oscars and other such events, like, I don't know, Miss Universe and su- uh, such and such of things. Um, but no, I didn't actually manage to catch much of it, apart from uh, a few odd tidbits uh, from Spike Lee, which I have to say, he definitely made the Oscars uh, interesting in their own right, which uh, was bloody brilliant. How about yourself, mate? Did you manage to catch much? Oh, no, I I watched the whole thing. I had uh, Maeve come in uh, the morning of and spoiled the best Oscar, uh, the best picture, sorry, and the best actor Oscar. Um, Very polarizing, wasn't it? Uh, Which we'll go into when when we talk about the sweepstakes, but not a lot of people. Not a lot of people giving much love for Green Book taking the best Oscar, uh, yeah. best uh, picture Oscar, best best Oscar Oscar. The best Oscar Oscar goes to no best picture. Um, quite a few people not really happy with uh, Rami Malek picking up the best actor Oscar, but yeah. it, you, you got to realize that it is the film might not have been the greatest film in the world. But if he was the best actor, you know, you got to separate the actor from the film. And, uh, you know, I think Rami Malek did deserve it. Um, I don't think Viggo Mortensen was ever going to win it because of the controversies, just the numerous controversies that surrounded Green Book going forwards. Um, But uh, the Oscars... It's one of those things where not everyone's going to be happy. I'd I'd love to know. I think everyone was banking on Roma to win it, and I must have been one of the few people that did not want Roma to win it because Netflix would not shut up. The amount of money that Netflix threw into campaigning that for everyone's consideration. 
I understand they spent 120 million US dollars just on a series of billboards uh, and the stretch leading up to where the ceremony took place, all of which just banging the drum about Roma. So um, we'll go into the sweepstakes a little bit more, but we'll do that a little I bit d- later on. I just on. don't think the Oscars were any near as exciting as some of the previous years, maybe not even in, just in terms of controversy, but just in terms of the choices. Yeah, obviously there were some interesting films that were put forward for nominations, uh, but in general, there was nothing really that stuck out to me. Um, but yeah, the controversy around Green Book is possibly one of the funniest things I've ever seen, uh, especially with a lot of people making comparisons like to uh, this is just like the polar opposite um, to what happened to Spike Lee's, uh, one of Spike Lee's last nominations where he was up against, uh, what was it, Driving Miss Daisy? It was. He said and he it, felt, that it, is he just felt hilarious. snake bit. He said he felt snake bit that it happened. Um uh, there were some really good highlights, though. You know, we can't take away from the fact that oh, completely. Uh, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper, uh, their performance was was incredible. Uh, yet again, I'm a big, big fan of her Star Is Born. Don't know if you've seen that someone wrote for the Enemy comparing the storyline of A Star Is Born to both what Ryan Adams and R. Kelly have done to women. Ooh, I did less, not actually read about less that. Less said about that one, the better, you know. So because it, un- it basically also undermines, you know. I thought our star was born about a guy that had alcohol problems, and you know, it was, uh, his his tinnitus, and it was leading to, you know, his, his mental frailty, his downfall. You know, at no point did I feel that he was controlling of Lady Gaga's character, but you know, I am a. Uh, a big fan of A Star Is Born, so that's the hell I'm going to die on. If you get a chance, Jamie, definitely check it out. But, no, you know. for sure, man. I really do need to check it out because I feel like it's one of those films that I have had quite a few people um, parade through the streets trying to get me to watch it, and I was adamant I wasn't going to watch it purely because of all the hype. But now, Benji, I feel like because you've told me to watch it, I do. I, it validates the, the possibility that this is a fantastic film and I'm not just yeah, snubbing it I, for no I, reason. I did end up going to, I, I have ended up watching Green Book. It's a good movie, but yeah, God damn, it ticks all the boxes in terms of like, you know. Oscar uh, movie. Uh, yeah, it is, you know, every bit an Oscar movie, like, oh, you know, there's a bit of tension, tick, lovely, lovely scenic, you know, panoramic views. T- it just, it ticked everything, so, eh. I'm already going to take a stab, and I haven't even seen this film. Let's let's take a wee guess, because this seems to be the classic Oscar uh, nomination road. I'm going to take a stab at the fact that, obviously, it handles race relations, but very yep. poorly in the sense where it's almost sugarcoat slightly. I imagine at some point there was a conflict between the two main characters, which resulted in them slightly hating each other, or possibly not even in that respect, uh, the main character being the white character, possibly defending the African-American character from possibly friends or someone of the sort, yes? Oh, yeah. No, he he, he, he defends uh, the uh, black character against, uh, you know, uh, uh, violence committed by white people. Um, Were family just, members possibly racist in no, the same respect? No, oh, no, no, okay, no, but, that's interesting. But, but Viggo Mortensen's character, you know, underpinned a certain kind of ambivalence towards you know the black community because he himself feels that as an italian american he is equally as downtrodden i mean the 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 back the black character in it um the doctor he uh you know you know well classically trained pianist 
um, is rejected by the black community because of his of his deed and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, rejected by the white community because he's black. You know, turns out, spoiler alert, that the character is also gay, so he's ostracized by so many other communities Ooh. as well. Um, but then it's got that kind of you know happy ending where he joins in with the white family and uh, yeah. It, it's a good movie. I is should, it an, yeah. Is it an Oscar movie? No. The favorite, however, fucking brilliant. I absolutely. Oh, that love is the hilarious. Favorite. Olivia Coleman definitely deserved her Oscar. Oh hell yes. Uh, you know, and she was absolutely fantastic. And uh, you know, um, the the director, uh, I, forgive me if I mispronounce this, Yorgos Linthimos. He. Um, He's gonna he's gonna win an Oscar sooner or rather than later, and it makes me want to go back and watch uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer now because if I I loved him when he did Dogtooth and I just kind of trailed away from it, and yeah, Killing of a Sacred Deer just sounds absolutely insane. If he managed to turn a story about Queen Anne and you know two maids uh, or two of her paramours, so to speak. Um, if he managed to turn that into a dark comedy, then I absolutely want to see what he's going to do with a psychological that. thriller. Definitely, completely agree. And going back also to the Green Book, Mashala Ali um, was a fantastic actor, and I'm no way um, attacking his acting in the film. I just think that the film itself, extremely predictable, and oh, I haven't even was, seen it yet. It was like paint by numbers. Oh, yeah, and, but and credit to them. Sometimes those movies are great, but it, it was a safe, safe, safe oscar win because it also because it had like a a, a a you know main black character and it was deep-seated in kind of like you know overcoming racism uh, i think maybe the academy thought that selection would make them appear less tone deaf and in actual fact it's made them seem even more tone deaf unfortunately oh, james completely and i couldn't agree more mate i think that was the one thing that um kind of i guess took me by surprise and that's not to say also that black klansman wasn't an inherently uh better film either i think um one of the ones i was really surprised that didn't get any appearances actually in general uh even in the nominations was uh sorry to bother you i thought that was going to appear um in the oscar uh nominations possibly and i was very surprised it didn't i think it, it it's just a bit too weird isn't it yeah it, i think so too, it'd be like seeing gasper noah get a, a, an Academy Award nomination for some okay. of his stuff, you know. <laughs> it comes across agree. as transgressive, which is just, you know, a, a fancy word sometimes people use for uh, for offensive. But, you know, it, it, it was a very transgressive piece. Um, speaking of transgressive pieces, though, uh, we'd be remiss not to talk about, while we're in the realm of Oscars, um, the Oscar-nominated film uh, regarding James Bolger. Oh, definitely, mate. Yeah, that's yeah, um. Kick, you know, like just to kick uh, kick the news off with uh, with this bit of information. Oh, mate, I would love to because honestly, uh, this is one of the most, I guess, controversial not only cases probably in UK history, uh, just purely from the backstory. I won't go too much into the backstory purely because it is horrific, um, and. It's, it's one of those things that hasn't seemed to leave the back of the minds of a lot of people in, uh, in the UK. Obviously, I did know about the story prior to coming here, but um, it was quite, f um, I wouldn't use the word funny, but even bringing up pure, purely the case, um, it's still a bit uh, rough around the edges in terms of a lot of people. That's probably not the best way of me describing it, but basically, in a nutshell, like Benji was saying, um, 
there was an Oscar-nominated film uh, that was about James Bolger, which, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, it was a very horrific murder, which involved uh, two young boys. Um, a lot of controversy surrounding this. In particular, uh, the the victim's mother wanted to see not only this film never shown in the UK again, but also didn't understand why it was uh, being put up for the Oscars. And funnily enough, uh, just so it happens, and not even funnily enough, uh, the film cannot find um, anywhere for it to be screened. Uh, just looking at the story which appeared in the mirror, the director of the controversial film about James Bolger um, is desperate to have it shown in the UK. Vincent Lamb's film, Detainment, is up for an Oscar tomorrow. Well, this was uh, prior to this, uh, yeah, prior to the Oscars. Uh, yeah. But he and the distributors are struggling to find anywhere willing to screen it for fear of backlash, which... In all honesty, I'm not surprised and I don't really understand uh, why Vincent Lamb even considered trying to have it screened in the UK because of course no one's going to want to have it screened. Uh, do you personally feel like this is uh, maybe tone deaf on the director's part or do you think this is possibly uh, tone well, deaf I... on maybe the distributors as well as the, the theatres themselves? Well, I think this stems back to, I mean, it's it's interesting that we talk about this a week removed from talking about the whole Ted Bundy stuff, yeah. you know. Um, oh, was it two weeks removed, you know? Time flies by, isn't it? It's a flat surface, but it flies by. Um, <laughs> I, I, it again plays into the inherent macabre voyeuristic nature that we as humans mm. have and we've been installed and born with. It's the driving past a car crash and not really wanting to look at it, but having a look anyway. Um the pertinence of the of James Bolger's death uh, and and just how it completely rattled and shook an entire country. Uh, I mean, I wasn't over here when it happened, but the the ramifications throughout that whole situation um, can still be felt today. You know, they um, they immediately clamped down on movies child's play three became demonized because apparently um the the two culprits the you know the two murderers they were allegedly watched that movie and, and took inspiration and and you know what the media is like sometimes they'll find any reason just to blame you know movies or they will blame video games you know or it was music at one point in time as well they'll they'll just take these things and create a, a moral panic and Completely. you know and moral panics these days are, are, are a lot more i would say that they're they're still very strong they still evoke very extreme reactions um but there's so many going on at the minute that it just seems that everyone gets drowned out for noise so i think if this was maybe 10 15 you know years ago perhaps there would be a, a lot more controversy surrounding this, you know, because it would have been closer to the time as well. I completely disagree, though. I think that it should be screened. I think that it's a case of double standards. If it, people are happy for a movie about uh, a vile piece of shit such as Ted Bundy to uh, to be screened, you know, and to be reviewed, then if it, I don't think it's fair that something uh, quite closer to home uh, should be vetted and, and shouldn't find distribution now i understand 
that the parents of James Bolger would be upset because it seems like it is sensationalizing something. But let's not lie to each other. The whole case when it first happened was sensationalized through and through. You oh, couldn't completely. go anywhere without knowing what was happening, the the ins and outs. You know, we found out that he that poor James he had paint poured into his mouth, batteries placed, you know, where the sun wouldn't shine. Mm. Um, these were all in newspapers as well. They were not yeah. talking about rags like the sun and stuff like that. These were being printed in broadsheet newspapers as well. So that she that James Bolger's family had to deal with that to begin with was horrific, you know, and, and just every minute detail poured over, scattered and you know, just everywhere. Oh completely. Uh, not even that yeah, now it's the, now there's a documentary about it, but like at the same time, you it's a double standard, you know. I know mm. it is upsetting. It is upsetting for the family, you know. If I had a child and it got killed, you know, it got killed or, or murdered, should I say, in such a way, and so I made a movie about it, I would myself be upset. But then I'd also have the gravitas to realize that something like this is unfortunately being in the public interest for such a long amount of time that it's it's narrow-minded, it's short-sighted just to kind of say it shouldn't be viewed, it shouldn't be screened anywhere like that. It's a difficult one because I've not been in the situation that they've been, but, you know, yeah. just with a, with a cursory kind of glance at, at, you know, the film itself... I do think that there is a double standard at play here, you know, so you can't be all for, you know, yeah. glamorizing or detailing a serial killer, making a murderer. You can't have all of that and then have people up in arms because it's a bit closer to home. That's that's not fair. It's also quite a tough one as well because the story, like you said, has still been in the media even 16 years later after this murder took place. Like, uh, for example, um, the two murderers, I'm not going to bother naming them. If you're really interested yourself, you can look them up. Uh, but one of them has constantly been in the media uh, due to the fact that, and um, trigger warning, obviously, um, that he was found to have been possessing like oh, child pornography, he'd been looking at like snuff films and other things like that. These guys are not escaping the news. They are constantly being brought up into the news. And I do have sympathy, obviously, for the mother. Um, but, it, yeah, it's impossible for people, like you said, not to be entranced and interested. Entranced is probably not the right word, but interested in the story itself. Because, yeah, like you said, it has been in uh, the general media for years and years and years. And just when you think it's going to die, it just comes back up again. I think even the father himself of James Bolger was quoted as saying, um, the one thing that haunts me to this day is the fact that is regardless of um, how I am like try to evade news discussing this case and talking about those basically pieces of shit, uh, they still appear on TV. The documentaries still keep coming um, and they always will be because people are inherently interested in these two individuals who are absolute bloody monsters and they are, like they were disgusting. The, the fact that you can think about, like you said, these are children who literally committed this crime. Of course there's going to be interest surrounding it all the time, just like bloody Ted Bundy, who was supposedly the, the charming murderer that everyone loved. These two kids are equally as just strange and bizarre to the general public. Yeah, we we can't help but be, I think, enchanted is, is again, the wrong word, but it almost seems like... We are enchanted and hypnotized by the macabre, and especially mm. when it's, you know, something 
especially when it's young people, because we can't wrap our head around why they would do such a yeah, thing. Exactly. You know, that's why that there is still to this day conversations about Dylan and Eric about Columbine. You know, yeah. because as exhaustive as it has been with the motives and the modus operandi, we still try and wrap our heads around what would cause that sort of thing. So yeah, it, it is our innate inherent morbid curiosity that basically fuels this and now we're on a 24-hour media cycle jamie um Mm. you know they need space to fill so you know i think unfortunately the media are almost gleeful when something like this happens because they know that all eyes are going to be on all the networks and that's a horrible thing to say but that is the, the god's honest truth i'm afraid yeah completely um I'm going to move on as well. Obviously not a, a nice story, this next one either. Uh, and we did kind of precursor it uh, during the, the start of this podcast. Um, we were talking about how um, there's obviously been some many great campaigns that have been going towards uh, sexual assault, sexual harassment, among many other things. Uh, and the worrying thing is um, one particular campaign um, could potentially, uh, well, in my opinion, I don't know what your opinion is, Benji, but it could go down the gurgler just purely because of, of the implications of um, what is going on currently. So Time's Up, uh, the group which has been campaigning against sexual harassment in the workplace, has announced that its CEO, Lisa Borders, uh, has decided to resign, and she ended up uh, resigning actually yesterday. Uh, and this was as a result of an accusation which was made uh, against her son. Uh, this was in a post uh, on social media. On Friday, Lisa Borders informed members of Time's Up leadership that sexual assault allegations have been made against the son in a private forum and within 24 hours Lisa made the decision to resign as president and CEO of Time's Up and we agreed that it was the right decision for all parties involved. Um, just starting off quickly I do think that um, the media of course did end up jumping on this reasonably quickly and it does not surprise me at all considering how uh, relevant uh, the discussion is around sexual harassment among many other things. Uh, it's very concerning for me personally and it's not because of the fact that um, I'm trying to say, like, oh, they got their comeuppance, this is what they deserve, rah, rah, rah. Uh, But I imagine this is going to be the take that a lot of right-wing media are probably going to take, along with a lot of other people <laughs> who will make some bullshit claim. And I know this uh, is going to happen. People are going to be like, oh, good to get a taste of your own medicine, talking about all these sexual assault allegations and outing all these people when your own son was the one doing it. And it's like... This, I feel, may damage the campaign and not in the way uh, that most people would think. I think it's going to be damaged more by how the media handle this properly. And this uh, story itself was um, in The Guardian on Friday. I haven't actually managed to find many other links um, or news sources talking about it, but I imagine it won't be long until there's going to be a bunch of them who will be covering this quite extensively. What do you think about this, man? What's your thoughts on this? Well, I think that she handled it incredibly well. I think that the sad situation is that uh, Lisa Borders was put in an untenable situation because Mm. of an unfortunate situation involving her, uh, a a very, very close family member as well. Um, So, of course, you know, it would be ridiculous for her to stay on in her position uh, because of essentially... um, the whole point of Time's Up uh, goes against what her uh, her son, right? It was her son that's yep, been accused of sexual assault. Yeah, um, it goes against everything, you know, they don't mesh together. Um, and it's it's completely sad, you know. 
You're right. I I think there's going to be a whole bunch of right-wing people, a whole bunch of conservatives, and, you know, I'm just going to straight up say there's a whole bunch of neckbeards out there that are going to turn around. Edgelords. I don't know. Edgelords. They're a mixed bunch, aren't they? It's a harsh... I got accused of being an edgelord, you know. I think that there is a... I think that, you know, the I've been called Big Chungus as well, which I have no idea what the hell that's about. But, you know, we're, we're, oh, you know edgelords, and, and as far as I'm concerned, you know, they're just, they're just there's being edgy and pushing the envelope and stuff like that, like George Carlin used to be. Yeah. And that's a little plug for what we're going to be talking about later. But Definitely. then there's just real fucking dickheads. I think what we really need to look at here, Jamie, is people that are going to go through a large, large amount of schadenfreude Mm, because of what has happened. End of the day, a woman has been sexually assaulted irregardless of who the uh, the assaulter is related to and irregardless of that position that the assaulter's family member is in. What it all boils down to is that it's another woman that has been sexually assaulted or or allegations of sexual assault, you know. So for as much as people want to go down the avenue of schadenfreude and, oh, you know, you you get what you deserve, you know, that, you know, your your whole movement has been uh, compromised because of what the sun has done. And, you know, a whole movement should not be punished because of the misdemeanors of one person. At no point has she turned around, has she, and said that these are these are these are false, the, you know, 3% of sexual uh, abuse allegations we know are wrong. You know, basically, she didn't lend a dun on it. Uh, she just straight up, you know, left her position because it was untenable. But it all yeah. boils down to, Jamie, that another woman has been sexually assaulted in a climate where we're meant to be fucking trying to put this kind of stuff to an end. Yeah, And that it's been done in a... This is horrible, but that it's been done in the United States as well, where there is meant to be active awareness where, you know, this shit's not meant to happen, you know? It's not meant to be happening on our watch, you know? Time's up. Me too. Everything like that. It's meant to help be proponents towards, you know, making sure women aren't being sexually assaulted. So I just think it's completely sad. I think that, again, the CEO found herself in an in a untenable position and what she did, she had to do fantastic, you know, and I think that she handled it really well. But uh, for all the fucking mouth breathers out there that are going to be turning around and saying, this is going to be a blow towards the movement. It's like, what have you got against the movement, you exactly. know? Exactly, yeah. You fully. know, it's it's... Schadenfreude is both a beautiful and ugly thing. Uh, when you experience Schadenfreude, you might think it's great, but you know, in the cold light of day, it becomes an ugly thing. And look, at, you know, what it all boils down to is it is another fucking statistic of a sexual assault allegation against a woman, and it shouldn't happen. So, if you like the movement or not put that to one side and just bear in mind that someone has been sexually assaulted in 2019 and it's got to fucking stop, man. Mate, 
I couldn't have said it better myself, and I think that will definitely be the case of where we will leave that story, which uh, I do think is, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what the developments are going to be from this, and I do, um, yeah, I completely agree with you, man. I don't think this is going to hurt the movement in any sense. The movement is getting stronger and stronger, and like you said, this shit's not acceptable in this day and age, and um, I hope all the best uh, for everyone involved with that particular company because, yeah, they are doing fantastic things. And uh, moving on to something a little bit lighter, which seems a bit bizarre going from those two extremely dark and um, very, very morbid stories uh, to one that's a little bit more lighthearted just because, you know, sometimes we do need some positivity in our life or maybe it's negativity depending on how you see it. Um, so for many years, uh, the president of Nintendo has been Reggie Phil's army, who um, who's fantastic and has been possibly one of the biggest uh, mascots of uh, the brand itself and is much loved by many fans around the world, including myself, has sadly announced that after 13 years of working for Nintendo, he is sadly going to be retiring as president. Uh, the only thing being, the person who is going to be replacing him is Bowser, which is fantastic, not only that this... Uh, is one of the obviously main villains from uh, one of the most popular series from Nintendo, but also this is actually the man's name. Senior Vice President of NOA, Doug Bowser, has been named as the successor uh, for the US branch of Nintendo. Mate, I think that's possibly the best thing that has ever happened in the gaming community. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be loving it. How about yourself, mate? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like it. It's He's really taken it in, in his steed as well, hasn't he, Doug Bowser? I am really, really hoping that at some point in my lifetime that Nintendo finds someone called Waluigi and they get oh. into a into a position of power. Because um, Bowser's cool and all. I mean, Bowser the character. Now we have to get into that point where we're talking about which Bowser are you talking about? Are you talking about oh, God. Bowser the cat? Bowser who was formerly, you know, the artist formerly known as King Cooper, rah, rah, rah. Or are you talking about Bowser who is, you know, Senior Vice President of Nintendo of America? Um it's great that he's taken it in his stride. Um, it's sad to see uh, Phil Zane uh, uh, leaving, but Nintendo are going from strength to strength. I think that it's a very steady ship that Bowser has found himself captaining now. And uh, best of luck to him, you know. I think the Switch is going to be, again, one of those consoles that we look at as pioneering, you know, much like the Wii was Maybe not so much the GameCube, but, you know, Nintendo have definitely been at the cornerstone uh, or definitely have developed cornerstones, should I say, uh, of uh, the video game in history. If it wasn't for uh, the NES, then it was definitely the Super Nintendo. If it wasn't the Super Nintendo, it was the N64, the Wii. And I think Mario is, is part of everyday life. I think, uh, you know, every man and his dog or every woman and her cat know of mario so yeah a, a very smooth transition hopefully it doesn't rock the boat too much but i don't see it happening and uh, good for doug bowser yeah mate and uh, did you know much about reggie himself have you heard of reggie much um in the news and in the i guess the whispers oh, me and of reg, mate. me and me and reg go way back bloody <laughs> reg owes me like a pack of durries mate me and reg yeah, eh? couple, like, couple of packs of cigs now he stepped down, man. I'm gonna get him, you know, a couple of Billy Mavs and you know, a couple of <laughs> couple of darts. No, I'm not familiar with Reggie. 
uh, whatsoever. Oh, I'm gutted because, okay, uh, this is maybe some possible research after the podcast, mate, but Reggie is possibly one of the most self-aware presidents of any gaming company to the point that um, he literally just takes the piss out of himself any time he makes appearances at um, like conferences such as E3 and things like that. He is known as being one of possibly the most bizarre characters in uh, the gaming community uh, to the point that he makes trailers just for his E3 appearances, basically. It's it's amazing. It's utterly amazing. I'm going to have like to send you a few like, just for the sake I of it. Like, I definitely like the fact that he's self-referential. Oh, I yeah, really completely. like that. It's a beautiful thing. We need more of that in um, our CEOs. Um, and I think it's probably a, bit, a good time for us to uh, move to uh, the topic at hand, mate, because I've just been wanting to get my teeth into this so bloody bad. Uh, reason being, uh, it's uh, quite relevant at the moment, I feel. There's a lot of things going on in the world, and one of the things that I feel is um, possibly dying a slow, painful death is uh, comedy. I don't know about you, but how do you feel comedy has uh, changed in the last few years? Because I certainly uh... think for myself, I feel in the last maybe... Uh, I, I would even say five years. Comedy has seen a dramatic turn in what used to be quite, I don't know, a rebellious form of art uh, has now become quite toned down, uh, watered down, I guess, um, in comparison to some of the comedians and comics that I grew up watching and listening to. Uh, do you feel like comedy is going in a maybe downward direction? I... It, I mean, this is this is definitely a, a difficult topic uh, to talk about. You know, I think that comedy is a very, very, very subjective art form. I think that what used to be, uh, you know, matters that you you could laugh about are uh, now, you know, matters that you can't. I mean, there's always been problematic performances in comedy you know definitely for example in in the united kingdom you had a comedian called bernard manning who would do all the work in men's clubs uh his humor would basically be blue humor and blue humor in itself became uh part of of you know the the widespread genres as it were of of comedy you know you you had like observational humor you had blue humor you had slapstick um, so Bernard Manning would always make jokes about ethnic minorities, much in the same way that Roy Chubby Brown uh, always make, made jokes. His shtick was, you know, making lewd comments about women, you know, making jokes about sex, stuff like that. Even Bloody Wilson, maybe, as well, could be Kevin thrown Bloody into Wilson mix. was one of them as well. Some people, God rest his soul, might say that Ewan Gilmore from New Zealand might have been a bit problematic with Ooh. with some of his bits and pieces, you know? Yeah, definitely yeah, understandable, so, yeah. But it makes people laugh, and unfortunately, that you know, you and Gilmore aside, by all means, you know, because uh, I had the great fortune of working the New Zealand Comedy Festival for a number of years, and Ewan was one of the most intelligent people out there. But he knew his audience, much like Bernard Manning knew his audience, much like Roy Chubby Brown knew his audience. Because things are problematic, it unfortunately doesn't mean that someone's going to completely change their whole material because they in themselves are playing to their audience. And that's that's why comedy is such uh, so subjective because 
what I might find as something amusing, someone else might find appalling. And what you might find as amusing, Jamie, I might find appalling, you know. What I find very interesting now is that um, the politics regarding comedy have completely changed, you know. So, for example, the and I, and I quote from the Joe Rogan podcast here, which not a lot of people are going to like because Joe Rogan, as a comedian, um, people view him as... Uh, an apologist for the right and stuff like that oh, which completely. is ridiculous yeah, yeah. you know he's just being objective he perhaps is how many of us that are older now feel that the political ground has kind of shifted and therein lays my point that i'm about to to reach is that a comedian like george carlin back in the uh you know back in his prime like say the 80s the 90s even the 70s you know his brand of humor, he was, before Bill Hicks, you had George Carlin, who was talking about the evils of advertising and, and, you know, corporations and stuff like that. Yet his humor and, and his stance at this point in time could be viewed as center-left, when at the time it was like this radical left anarchic kind of humor. Lenny Bruce, one of the all-time greatest comedians you know it was it was there around the time where you had like um alan ginsburg for example doing howl and howl at the time was controversial and maybe howl at this point in time someone's going to take umbrage and find it problematic because of some yeah. of the language and you know the the topics that it uh the topics that it it, it delves into you know uh, lenny bruce was viewed as obscene in nature but by today's standards you know his stand-up set is viewed as rather tame i am going to be completely biased on this one jamie when you attack bill hicks it, it does kind of hurt i think bill hicks was a a very very important comedian he was a comedian's comedian you know he yep. was um he imbued a spirit of righteousness about you know he really railed against the man and there's, there's oh, completely yeah there is absolutely you know no uh, it comes as no surprise that i'm talking about george carlin lenny bruce and bill hicks in the same utterance you know oh completely um, they they've I, I think they almost went in the same circles and uh the reason why uh, Benji brings in Bill Hicks in particular is uh, this was actually one of the links I sent to um, Benji prior to us recording this podcast uh, was a story that came out saying Bill Hicks problematic basically uh, and this is in regards to the fact that he is going to be having his anniversary I believe it is it is one anniversary of his one of his last stand-up releases, which, um, for those of you who don't know, obviously died of pancreatic cancer. Um, and actually, funnily enough, I forgot to link you to this, Benji. Uh, there was a Q&A with Bill Hicks's brother as well as also his mother in regards to uh, the anniversary of his death, which is okay. um, quite crazy, really. But um, I completely agree with you, man. I think Bill Hicks is one of those... Um, comedians, I can understand maybe where some of his um, content can be considered problematic. Maybe that's just a reflection of the time. But I still think his comedy stands up, and I think his content and some of the views he had was definitely very, um, I guess, liberal in a sense, but also quite, um, I, don't, I don't know the term to use really, but rebellious. He was like a punk of comedy. Yeah, and I mean, they... 
in the article you sent me about the Guardian, you know, with a whole bunch of of, of people talking about, you know, the the problems, you know, that that about some of Bill Hicks stand up, you know, the the darker aspects, you know. But that was Hicks. Hicks delved into the dark and macabre. He once again was playing to his audience. He worked on his material. Unfortunately, some of his material um people enjoyed, you know, um when he ended up going completely off the deep end and talking about Goat Boy. I mean, sadly, Goat Boy is is something that a lot of Bill Hicks fans remember but as a as a huge fan of bill hicks myself i always just thought well that's just absolutely ridiculous and i i don't find that funny i didn't find it offensive because by that respect you know i'm an adult and i know for a fact that i, I don't find those kind of things funny you know much yeah. in the same way that when he's talking about his revenge fantasy um and again there's a trigger warning here on the garden so i better include a trigger warning here as well um his revenge fantasy about how an ex-girlfriend was married to a 600 pound welder uh the welder dies on top of his ex-girlfriend while she's watching uh bill hicks but he's bill was very very visceral and unfortunately with the the visceral uh the, the visceralness viscerality <laughs> however you know whatever that word i'm looking for is at the moment because i feel a bit on the spot no no know? no that's I'm, totally wait, fine. I'm i'm waiting to be like torn apart by this like oh well benji you're you're an apologist for toxic masculinity and i'm not i'm just trying to discuss about you know where bill hicks perhaps was coming from um bill hicks Steez was a lot of anger and a lot of vitriol. I mean, oh, Dennis Leary yeah. made a fucking career from stealing Bill Hicks' um, stand-up, you know. So totally. that whole that whole revenge fantasy thing, as part of the set, plays into the whole vitriolic nature of Bill Hicks as a person. And Bill Hicks was self-aware and self-conscious. He knew for a fact that, you know. For all of the good I'm talking about where don't believe the government, don't believe in advertisers, advertisers go kill yourself, you know? I mean, at no point has anyone maybe turned around and said that him telling advertisers to go kill himself is a little bit kind of, it demonstrates a, a classist kind of mentality. No one talks about that. They're just focusing on the very easy ways of of a character of you know assassinating bill hicks you know a part of me thinks is it a bit disingenuous as well yeah i'm kind of seeing that as well and the reason being i think uh the critique that a lot of these um yeah in particular i will um obviously reference this article that we are discussing uh which is uh the guardian which is talking about whether bill hicks is problematic the thing i do find quite like you said disingenuous is the fact that any comedian at any point is going to make a joke that is slightly off the fringe and probably offensive. And for any comedian that says, no, that's that's impossible, I am always going to be um, of the clean variety. I'm always going to say jokes that are appropriate, that aren't going to offend anyone. There is always going to be a chance as a comedian that you are going to offend someone. But I think there's a massive difference between offending someone and purposely aiming to cause offence. And I think that's the thing that maybe um, a lot of people miss with some of the comics that are um, even coming through now. Uh, one comedian, actually, that I did want to reference as well, and I won't even say he's a comedian. I think it was because um, 
Oh, it's a loose term. Oh, oh, it's, it's probably a loose term to use on this individual. Uh, but there is an individual, he's a YouTuber by the name of Count Dankiller, uh, Mark Meehan, who was uh, started or was beginning to um, start a comedy channel on YouTube. And what happened to this individual um, was he made a joke. I won't go fully into the joke because maybe some people may find it offensive. But basically, uh, he posted a video which was possibly quite offensive. Well, I think it was um, offensive in some respects, but for the most part, um, I did see where the humour was uh, in this video. Now, what happened to Mark was he posted this video, which was obviously intended to be a joke, uh, and within the context of this video, it was completely a joke, uh, but he has now ended up um, being fined by the Scottish courts and almost ended up um, going to jail. I know this is probably a massive jump, in regards to the topic that we are talking about, uh, but it does make me think, is comedy becoming too offensive for the general public or are people getting too easily offended by comedy? What What do you think, man? Well, and again, it, it, that all goes down to the sub, you know, to subjectivity. I mean, I am not a fan, a huge, huge, huge fan uh, of Roy Chubby Brown. I am not a massive fan of Bernard Manning, but I have to respect the fact that, you know... It, if I don't find it funny, someone else might find it funny. But but that is that again is very difficult, you know, because then I am tone policing what people can and cannot laugh about. Do I find jokes about immigrants funny? Absolutely not, you know. But do I find again using Bill Hicks as a reference to joke about a revenge fantasy? Yeah, I do find it funny because I think that he comes across contextually as a petty individual with that bit. Oh, completely. I, I've, I more find the humor in that bit. Not, I'm not laughing about the fact that, uh, you know, a, a woman has died and, you know, like, hooray, Bill Hicks has, has, has won. He, he defeated his ex-girlfriend, you know. I find the humor in that, that Bill Hicks has gone to a very dark place to demonstrate just how petty of an individual he is. The goat boy thing, I can't justify i can't talk about i just think that that is a very kind of like disgustingly surreal thing yeah completely but but like where uh, you know i've i can i am an adult now and i can reconcile what is funny and what i think is in bad taste but then zach galifianakis brought up a really interesting point before comedy became kind of like pulled apart and everything you know and and has basically happened you know what's happening now is, is comedy is now starting to get torn apart and and looked under in a microscope you know and and it's are we going to get to the point where comedy has to become safe in order not to offend anyone when in actual fact humor can be offensive and can be dark sometimes and it makes you think and that was one of Zach Galifianakis's point when he was talking about comedy was that sometimes you you delve into you know very dark subject matters you know and it, it is bringing that kind of subject matter to life some people do it in a very heavy-handed way Frankie Boyle for example does it in a very heavy-handed way why no one is, you know, tearing strips off Frankie Boyle? Has he atoned himself because now he's doing political humour, which, as far as I'm concerned, political humour is perhaps the safest fucking style of comedy that is out there now because oh, it, is, yes. it is taking the populist nature of who is the who is the arbiter of bad politics 
and, and it's just pointing a finger. It's easy to make Donald Trump jokes because he is a complete screw-up in what he's doing. It's easy to point fun at how much of a mess Brexit is, but we might be offending a whole bunch of people that think that Brexit is a fantastic idea, much in the same way that we oh, might be offending. And, you know, for I think Stuart Lee is a fantastic comedian. I like him, but I don't take away from the fact that Stuart Lee's stick sometimes is the fact that he is kicking down, much like Rob Oldham in the Guardian article is accused of, uh, has accused Bill Hicks of kicking down against, you know, women and Iraq and, and other people like that. The only difference is that Stuart Lee has uh, got that self-referential nature and perhaps is held in such an incredibly high esteem that people don't want to call him out on kicking down because I would not want to be on the wrong side of a tongue lashing from Stuart Lee. But then Stuart Lee is self-referential in the fact that he knows what he's doing. And for me, I can understand that the humor is that he is meta-referencing the very problematic nature that I have just spoken about, that he is acting like an elitist snob. Oh, yeah, Bill, completely. Yeah, and so why can't we look at Bill Hicks in the same way that, you know, for all of the uh, political, for all of the, you know, socially aware bits and pieces that Bill Hicks talks about, you know, why can't we be aware also that perhaps in in the context of things, the idea of him kicking down is him demonstrating as much as everyone thinks I'm some sort of preacher, I'm some sort of... Um, Harbinger, I think the Guardian used uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, a a harbinger of 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 preaching, you know, extolling the virtues of walking away from a capitalist culture. Maybe it was the fact also that he also was sending himself up, that he was, you know, being a self-parody because of that. Or maybe he just didn't give a fuck because he knew he was dying of cancer. Um, <laughs> yeah, that could have going, been a high possibility, yeah. Going, I mean, just going way back to the question that you originally asked me, you know, is comedy still subjective? Does it need policing? No, it doesn't. It shouldn't be policing. Uh, it should still be subjective, you know. I think that you are entitled to, to call out something that is deeply offensive, you know, and I think maybe I am, again, completely biased because I am a big Bill Hicks fan, but it seems almost very kind of contrarian as well. It's very, very kind of cool, it seems, to call out someone that everyone has such an esteem in, you know? Almost, yeah, is it, it to build a career out of as well? I could be very wrong, but it does It does feel like the arbitrary, oh, Bill Hicks does is cool. It does seem like snips of it. You know, it's almost like, oh, well, you know, this musician's very popular. Oh, well, they're shit and this is the problem. We can sit down as a society and pick out the problematic nature in everything, and then we can subvert. You know, we can so create many... our own narratives just purely by tearing something apart enough. And for anyone who says that's not entirely true, that is completely wrong. Like, um, yeah, I want yeah, I, I want to go back to the thing that I was yeah. um saying, man, because you know how um obviously we have been talking about as as comedy going down this dark road, um. I'm I'm leaning it towards uh, a topic I definitely want to talk about in the sense where 
Obviously, a lot of people have discussed the thing that um, eventually there is going to be the thought police. Things are getting too intense in the way of um, comedy is becoming too protective uh, and a lot of other other media is becoming too protective uh, and is only sharing one general view. Obviously, I'm not trying to say that there is um, no right-wing media or um, left-wing media or such. Uh, I'm just saying that there's definitely more of a lean currently uh, towards more left-wing uh, media, which is totally fine. I'm... I'm personally identify as more left-wing, uh, but the reason why I bring this up is uh, an interesting story that has come about is uh, basically this um, comedian that I was talking about, Mark Meechan, um, basically made this video and now he's going through legal proceedings for making a joke, which is quite interesting. Uh, basically, he has been... Uh, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna give it context. So basically, this guy yeah, yeah, made well, made a video. Joke? Okay, for anyone who hasn't seen this video, I do apologise. Uh, trigger warning. Um, so basically, this guy. The context of the video is this man Mark ends up making a video saying, "I'm going to do something to really annoy my girlfriend. My girlfriend has this really cute dog. It's a pug, and the thing is, I want to turn this pug into easily the most ugly, disgusting thing imaginable." So what am I going to do? I'm going to turn my dog into a Nazi. I'm going to turn this cute, adorable pug into a Nazi. The joke being that he teaches this dog to respond to certain phrases uh, and obviously also puts this dog in front of uh, a video of Hitler doing a speech. That being the joke. Obviously, I didn't find it inherently too funny. I thought, eh, it's it's okay. It's, it's quite edgy, but yeah, it's not really my cup of tea. Uh, but the thing is, he is now possibly leading to jail time for something he made a joke about because uh, the Scottish government is trying to say he's been inciting racial hatred um, by oh making this God. video, among many other me. things. Oh now, the thing is, obviously, the precursor to this video, which I did talk about, Mark himself says, this is completely a joke. What I'm trying to do is annoy my girlfriend and piss her off. I'm in no way, basically, he's saying, it's not like I'm a Nazi. I'm trying to say my dog is a Nazi. The whole situation itself is completely outrageous. But now the guy is having to defend himself. He almost went to jail. Uh, and now the Scottish government are forcing him to pay a fine, uh, which in itself is quite freaky when you think about it, that comedy could now possibly lead to jail time. Do you think this is something that we should be concerned about, mate? Comedy's always led to jail time, though. Has it? Lenny Bruce got arrested for a stand-up act. George Carlin got ran out of towns because of it, you know? I'm more offended because it's just it just sounds like a, a, a shit joke, to be honest with you. It was I, a shit joke, and I he know, even acknowledges I, it himself. Yeah, I, I th- it's, it's context, isn't it? Yeah. It's yep. nuance, you know? I've touched upon this a couple of times, you know? I think that, you know, we're, we're getting to a point now, perhaps, as a culture where everything... You can't have grey areas. Everything has to be... One know. or the other. Well, my God, I, you know, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but for as much as people want to be, want to adhere to a sense of everything is fluid and there is no binary, my God, we're in a culture which is so caught up in having a shoebox and pigeonhole every everything, you know, you know when it comes to either comedy or when it comes to perhaps you know gender when it comes to identity everything like that that does feel like you know everything now has to have a place there can't be any nuance you know so someone looks at that video and immediately just goes that is racist that is you know bringing to light and making humor of of you know the horrors that the nazis perpetrated 
other people might look at it and go, he's a real dickhead because he's annoying. You know, he's taking something that's so cute and just, you know, completely transforming it into this cute thing doing the most horrible thing, which I get some people find humor in, you know, uh, you know, the annoyance that people or the lengths people can go to to annoy. I think it's absolutely ridiculous, though, because, you know, from what you've explained to me, and I do recall the story now, Jamie, so it is inciting racial intolerance, or is it, it's inciting hate speech. It's a fucking dog. Yeah. It's not like he's... It's not like, what's his name, Tommy Robinson marching oh, yeah, out. Yeah, exactly, and that's... Which is completely different, you know, and I, I, I find humor in that oh i completely find humor in tommy robinson's career in general that's ridiculous you know bits and pieces like that um but unfortunately i think that some people have to take a hard line and a hard stance because if someone comes out and does it regarding a dog then what's to stop someone coming out and doing it for a kid and i think put the dog down yeah i agree definitely think put the dog down (laughs) but that's not me saying that by any means we should be, you know, tone policing everybody now, or, or, you know, there's, you know, people on the, on the rights, the alt-right are going to be talking now about thought policing and stuff like that. And, you know, I think that that's more of the case of there are now idiots in the world that would see something as funny as that and raise the stakes by going, Oh yeah, they probably would be, wouldn't they? My three-year-old, I'm going to get my three-year-old now to, you know, zig heil and throw, you know, the the (laughs) Nazi salute. Yeah, and sadly there will be someone who's fucking stupid enough to do that. And people might be going, oh, why are they sniggering about that? And we're not sniggering about the fact because there is nothing funny about... It's not, it's just the outrageousness that there probably is someone stupid enough to do that and... Sometimes you can't laugh yeah. at outrageous situations like we were so, talking about before. I I so, laugh at Tommy Robinson in general. I think he's possibly the biggest fucking idiot imaginable. And I laugh at the fact of how someone can be so dense and um, also in response to his followers as well. I just do not simply understand it. I think one I of the get- things I find interesting, though, uh, though man, is um, one of the people that has come out as a absolutely vocal critic um, of um, this individual, Mark, is none other than Graham Linehan, which I'm sure you know um, quite a lot about Graham, well known for making Father Ted, Black Books, the IT crowd, uh, as well as also having quite a bit of involvement with Brass Eye. Don't you find it quite interesting, one of the guys that possibly has some of the most offensive comedy series to come out in recent years is saying that this kid is too offensive? Um... Like just yeah, just remembering um, Brassai. I'm remembering that um, Pedo Gaiden. I remember there was an episode of Father Ted, which revolved around uh, an an Asian family had come to Craggy Island, and yes. it, the yep. whole the whole thing was Ted trying not to uh, trying to prove that he's not a racist, you know. And then the big kind of punchline is that one of the other fathers that had passed away had bequeathed a whole bunch of war memorabilia, which turned out to be Nazi memorabilia. Yeah. So I, as, as Graham Linehan upset about it because it's just, it's not funny or is he upset about it because it's using, you know, it's using Nazism and the third Reich as a form of humor, because if it's the, if it's the former, 
then I have to agree with him, you know. Um, I, I, the whole dog thing, I, if some people think it's amusing, great, but I, I, I don't think it's funny, but I'm not prepared to, like, take away from the fact that some people might find the idea of turning something cute into turning, turning something monstrous. There, there might be some humour in that. If it's the latter, though, then it is a bit hypocritical because Graham yeah. Linehan himself has used the Nazi trope and the whole kind of like, oh, I'm not a racist, or I can't believe, you know, what what's happening here. He's used that trope in a beloved television series, you know. Brass Eye, on the other hand, was just a complete send-up of of everything. You oh, yeah, do... it was fantastic. Oh, don't you get me wrong. Could... Like, I'm, I'm obviously critiquing yeah. Graham to a degree in regards to his response to um this individual, but... Yeah, he, he wrote some of the greatest comedy series to come out of the UK. There's no but doubt you, about it. He's a very talented writer. You couldn't do Brass Eye in this day and age. Oh, hell no. I Definitely the, not. The um, Peter Geddon one. Fantastic. The, well, well, I shouldn't, yeah. I'm not no, saying pedophilia is great. I'm just saying the Peter Geddon series was amazing. <laughs> Because you need to look at it, you need and you need to look at it much like you need to look at Bill Hicks' stand-up rather than taking bits and pieces. You need to look at it like how you know Louis C.K. At one point, everybody was decreeing that he's the greatest comedian, that, oh, you know, completely. as of late. And then all of the misdemeanors came about, and suddenly he's not that funny. How can you champion someone as the greatest comedian? Uh, of uh, of his generation and suddenly go oh because he's done something he's not that funny the humor for me and i've mentioned it before online is that louis ck is just a piece of shit he's just a, you know he gets on stage he's very vocal about it you know for me the humor is that you're a you're a horrible individual and you're just trying to work you work through all of these things you know the humor isn't about the fact that, oh, you know, like eating a Cinnabon and, and feeling like, oh, you know, pouring sugar on it and, you know, making sexual references and stuff like that and talking about masturbation. No, you need to look at the whole thing, you know, as, you know, contextually, you need to look at the whole thing as as a whole. The whole thing as a whole. You need the to whole look thing at as a whole, yeah. The whole thing. No, but you, you can't <laughs> take... You can't take bits and pieces and use that to build your narrative. Otherwise, I could take bits and pieces from a squeaky clean comedian and then fit it into a narrative, you know. Uh, it could be uh, a comedian that is very religious and I could turn around, take bits of his stand-up and say, well, what he's doing is he is fundamentally pushing an agenda which is dictating that I am not allowed to believe that there is no God. Therefore, he is tone policing what I can and cannot believe in and I have a problem with that. Now, you need to look at everything as a whole, you know, and that was the problem with Brass Eye with the Peter Geddon part, because everyone was just picking and like, oh, he's making fun of, of pedophilia. No, he's not. He's making fun of the media's obsession with pedophilia. And so completely. on that occasion, um, Chris Morris completely won. And it went way above a lot of people's heads, you know, because they would rather the moral outrage rather than having a look and going, shit, maybe he's got a bit of a point that we do sensationalize these things, you know, looking at Bill Hicks. You know, we could pick out the bits, uh, having Goat Boy aside, we could pick out the bit how his wife, uh, how he was, had a revenge fantasy. But at the same time, you need to look at the bigger picture where he, re you know, he does say that he shouldn't be put on a pedestal, you know, and that he, he isn't a good person despite all of these things that he does. Um, 
And I think that is where comedy doesn't need policing because I think it needs to be looked at the entirety rather than nitpicking bits and pieces because if when you start to lose all sense of context, you can start crafting your own narratives. The right have been doing it for so long. Yeah, completely. The left, the left are now doing it. We are no better than anyone else. The landscape shift, what used to be leftist kind of comedy now has become center left, you know, and, and things change. People grow old and stuff like that. It's even if like you... Dave Chappelle's comedy, mate. Like even he himself acknowledges the fact that he feels like the context of his comedy has lost all meaning because he started to realise instead of people laughing at his jokes, he realised people were laughing at him. Where yeah, his, they were laughing his... at the, the stereotypes you yeah, call which... I know what you're going to say. The yeah. stereotypes meant to be, you know, we're meant to be laughing at how ridiculous, you know, the stereotypes were. Yeah. And instead people were just laughing at, about, you know, with, with finding humour in the stereotypes rather than humour and the ridiculousness of these stereotypes, you know? Yeah, completely. And that's that's why Chappelle did... I mean, there's a conspiracy theory that Oprah Winfrey and Bill Cosby, you know, put out a hit on him, and that's why he ran away, but, you know... Oh, I think, the, yeah. There, there's that conspiracy that people should Google. Um, I don't think it's a dangerous time for comedy. I think that things are going to level out completely. And, I mean, if I... Am I right to deviate away from comedy for a minute just yeah. to talk about the world as a whole? Yeah, please do, man. Please do. <laughs> okay, right. Because I know I've spoken an awful lot and my mouth is getting really dry. <laughs> um, I think that things are definitely changing and things are going to get a lot more chaotic in the world. I think that I have a lot of friends that I used to identify as being on the left like myself and now we find ourselves more in the centre. I had a lot of friends on the right that I got along with. I may not have agreed with their ideologies or their politics i mean i didn't hang out with racists by any means you know yeah, no, but i get what you mean though like i found myself in the same position like um admittedly there were times where i was like jesus i actually hang out with these people but then in the same respect i'm like yes i do they were my friends yeah, you know, I, I respect I, their views and i respect their opinions and that's totally I, I, fine I'd call someone out if they were being racist, you know, but yeah, I knew fully. apparently they weren't a bad person. Perhaps they were just given like a pretty shit bit of advice growing up. And I've been given shit advice when I was growing up as well, but it's, you know, it's by no means uh, uh, was I ever going to like cast these people off when, I, you know, the best thing you could do is to pull them quietly to one side and talk to them and hopefully get them a little bit of a better understanding about it rather than where we are now, which is just basically publicly calling people out, um, which is ridiculous because then people feel shameful or no longer do they feel shameful. They, If they've been called out publicly, the most immediate response is people are going to get defensive. But I think that there's a complete shift now where people are looking at things a lot more object objectively and we have to as well if anything from that times up case has demonstrated is that it can happen in your own home just because you were rallying against it it does not mean that it's not going to happen on your watch and i think comedy music art literature everything like that I think we're going to see so much seismic shifts. There's going to be a sea change, you know. So uh, comedy does not need policing. You can like things. You can hate things. You can argue things. 
that is the beauty of us being sentient human beings, Jamie, you know? Fully, mate. But the moment that we start policing what is funny and what isn't funny, and to such an extent where we're now retrospectively going back and saying, you know, this is bad and this is bad, where, where does it then end? When do we then turn around and say, certain books there shouldn't be any humor when do we start ridiculing hunter s thompson when do we yeah. start saying that william s burris you know a book called junkie glamorizing drug use you know or or, well, or yeah, what it's, have, it's like going know? back to those same topics that a lot of people talk about where they go back to these and it's it's weird that i'm referencing them but it seems to be these buzz buzzfeed sort of like type-esque uh, media outlets that are putting out articles that are talking about this is 10 reasons why such and such is problematic and it's like of course a lot of these uh, films like like you said literature and other uh, forms of media and maybe even individuals themselves of course some of the things they may have said or done or that have been written have been problematic they are a reflection of their time it's like um Someone I was talking to the other day about Disney films and them saying, oh, I can't watch this Disney film now because um, of this and such and such an event that takes place in the film is racist. And it's like, you do have to remember, this film was released 60, 60 years ago. Of course, there's going to be elements that are probably a little bit ho-hum. But the thing is, it's a product of its time. It doesn't mean that we can't progress in the future. And like you said, we are progressing to a greater time now. Things are changing. There is cultural shifts. Uh, people are, even though I'm I'm not using the term in a jokey fashion, people are becoming, as they say, woke. People yeah. are realising that things um, that maybe were of the, the popular mainstream opinion are no longer that. Racism is no longer cool. Uh, being um, a homophobic arsehole is oh, no longer oh, cool. Racist has never been cool. Homophobia oh, has never on, been cool. Oh, come on, man. Racism you know? had its time, man. Back in 1940s Germany, it was pretty cool. But, oh, um, my God. But be yeah. careful. <laughs> oh, be careful, because somebody might just take that little bit and then the New Zealand Herald will make an article all oh, about that. You yeah, know? Jesus. Maybe I'll get my visa revoked. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just in that same respect, man. I find I find this whole... Um, searching to find a fence quite bizarre and I think people need to realise we're progressing give us time let media like kind of ride the wave of uh, finding itself a nice in between I think people are trying to jump down the throat of uh, people for like like you said there are obviously offensive comedians there's no doubt about it there's always going to be offensive comedians there is even going to be shitty comedians who do content that is obviously racist homophobic among many other things and don't worry they'll get shut down very fucking quickly but the fact of the matter is we are slowly getting there just let it take its time like and i yeah and i think that the most offensive thing in the world is is being inoffensive i think that oh, gee, you, you need things that basically stir if it if it offends, if it becomes a talking point, great. Um, Think about any great movement. At some point or another, it offended someone. Reason being, because it probably goes against everything they believe. Same yeah, goes know, for and, general and, media. And, you know, Rob Oldham is entitled to his opinion about Bill Hicks, and I'm not going to say that he's wrong about that opinion. And, you know, no, my... No, no. My discussion uh, about the whole Bill Hicks, uh, my whole discussion about this is just, you know, another voice in the wilderness, so to speak. But I do, I do worry and I do despair that we're going to get to a point if it keeps going like this, where everything becomes so safe and milk toast that it, life just becomes boring. 
do you not despair about that a little bit yourself, Jamie, if we're going to get really deep into it? Mate, this is getting quite deep. I'm oh, really okay. questioning well, 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 my, well, the future of my life. Is my life going to be worth living? Walk if there's away. Nothing... Walk away from it, man. Walk away. I'm going to dive straight in, Benji. No, I think I think I think I am gonna. You know what, bugger it. No, I think I think it will become a bit mundane because the thing is, I like to be challenged, and um, some people will say will ask, uh, in what sense? Like, um, it's going back to what I was saying before that I definitely have friends who probably don't uh, have the most popular of opinions, and I certainly uh, find it sometimes on my Facebook page that that turns into absolute shit fit fights, which, uh, is perfectly understandable. People are going to get angry about other people's comments. That's just a natural way of life. Someone might say something that might not seem that offensive, but might be offensive, extremely offensive to someone else. Like, um, we were talking about before, but the thing is, I enjoy the debate. I enjoy finding out people's views. I enjoy finding out um, other people's opinions on matters, even if I don't agree with them, because of the fact that, I, it, in my personal opinion, it entertains me further. Entertains probably isn't the right word to use, but I find life a hell of a lot more interesting uh, by knowing other people's views over just realising and thinking about my own. It's like that whole thing of... Um, people who discuss how the dangers of social media and things like Facebook. The problem with those things is you become very, very fixated on your own opinions and what you like and what um, appeals to you. The same could be said even for Spotify and people that look at their weekly Discover New, which more than likely is probably showing you music that you're probably going to listen to anyway at some point or another, and so you don't really end up listening to anything relatively new in comparison to what you usually listen to. That's what I feel life should be like. You should be introduced to new ideas even if you don't like them because the thing is, you never know. There might be something that you do agree with and I think if we keep uh, shutting people down, turning things away that we don't find, um, turning things away that we find offensive, uh, we're never actually going to learn anything and I feel like it sounds stupid and some people might call me out on this. I think sometimes the best way of learning about something is to get offended by it because then you learn what you're offended by. Yeah, you learn from your mistakes. Yeah, you know? completely. And yeah, sometimes you have to make those mistakes. And I, I wonder, Jamie, okay, if uh, it gets to a point with people publicly calling everyone out that it becomes, it gets to the point where people become so desensitized that it's like, I'm just going to say that. Why are you going to get called out on it? It's like, well, I don't care. Everyone gets called out over every other little matter. So what's to stop me doing this? You know, when does the, when does it become, when do we get to that point that, you know, calling people out in a public forum just has no resonance anymore because everybody's doing it. That yeah. is perhaps a legitimate concern. That was actually a concern I had with another friend. Um, it was, yeah, it was just a casual conversation. We were talking about the fact that, and might not be the case, but it was what my friend and I were discussing about that this possibly is a reason that there is more extreme views being bred because of the fact that people are feeling like they're getting shut down all the time or aren't getting an opportunity to speak or are being called out constantly. This is breeding more and more extreme views that are often like hidden, I guess, from the public. Like it's like the the response to, and I know it's it's weird to bring this in, but it's like uh, people who said they were surprised about the fact that President Donald Trump uh, became president. I wasn't at all. I was not surprised at all. I knew that there was going to be this um, 
group of people that they've labelled the alt-right um, coming up through the ranks because these people felt like they were being downtrodden when in actual fact all it was was uh, people just telling them to shut up and calling them arseholes, which to be honest, a lot of them actually are arseholes, but yeah, still. You know, and uh, and it just, unfortunately, the, um, the, the right, or, you know, I mean, I, I feel uneasy saying the right as well because yeah, so I know I. some people that have very conservative views and values that I just think, you know, are unfairly lumped in that whole idea of the right, the evil yeah, yeah. right, much in the same way that I have a lot of friends. It's like the boogeyman. Very, very, yeah, boogeyman, you know. I have, a, 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 you know, a lot of friends that are very, very on the, on the left, you know, of getting to the point of, like, you know, uh, Marxist kind of, you know, uh, or, or, or Trotskyites, you know. Um, and they're demonized as kind of like, oh, you know, the left, it's, it's ridiculous, you know. <laughs> but it's funny how it's seeping more and more into media. It's, it's weird. I don't remember, um, media being this politicized in a sense. Like obviously politics and media have always gone hand in hand. Music has always had elements of uh, political messages. Films have always had elements of political messages. And as we've been discussing for the last wee while, comedy has as well. Um, but the thing is, it's it's becoming more and more prevalent, mate. I don't but, know about but you, but Jamie, yeah. Jamie, uh, it's it, it, I know it's becoming more and more prevalent because people uh, a conflict is always sold. It's just the difference is that you know I'm a wrestling fan. I'm not gonna watch a, a, a I'm not gonna watch or be interested in in like a pay per view or something like that if the the storyline or the angle to all my wrestling nerds out there is that two guys really like each other and just want to have a good old-fashioned fight and then shake hands. No, people don't watch UFC bouts or boxing bouts, you know, or, or have very little interest if it's like, you know, two puglists enter into the ring and they had a jolly good fight. No, conflict be- breeds interest, you know. Yeah. It's, it's sad, you know. Conflict is, you know... I, I, again, it taps into that whole macabre aspect, doesn't it? You Let's know, just remember like, the time that Donald Trump did actually appear in the WWE. Beautiful moment in history. Oh, jeez. When he bought the WWE. Uh, me, and, uh, <laughs> me and someone else are going to do a wrestling podcast and we're going to have to go into that. Please. But, but, like, news agencies have realized that, you know, conflict breeds interest, you know? Yeah. And so that's why there is always this... That's not always, but that's why now it has become the left versus the right because you oh, then totally have is. two rallying kind of ideologies that you can get behind, and you know it's like a fight, 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 fight. You know, and it's no one has an interest in like if we just got together and had a common cause. That's why, in my heart of hearts, I really hope that we go down the Alan Moore Watchman route, something comes along, wipes us out, that brings the left and right together. Where are you, Osmandius? Yes. We need you right now. We need do, you. man. I feel like he's predicted this. Something like this is going to happen. God, I'm really these, hoping for it. These podcasts used to be a fun romp about talking about film and television, and, man, we really are getting into... The nitty gritty of things, aren't we? Fucking but... hell, man! Like, yeah, we've 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 tackled some pretty deep seated issues, mate, and hopefully one of them will be um my uh, possible descent into madness um due to thinking about these things all the time, as with yours, possibly. But, but no, but I, th- I think everyone has that same fatigue. Yeah, and it is it is fatigue, man. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? like you said, it's fatigue. People are tired of this shit. They are, they are. But you know what? They're not tired of. Oscars. Yes, exactly. 
Ooh. So we're going to move swiftly along. Uh, any <laughs> hate mail or complaints, if you're not prepared to call us out on Twitter, uh, Ikigai Pro, or Instagram, Ikigai X Pro, <laughs> you can mail your hate to hello at ikigaipro.net. But, you know, like I mentioned, unfortunately, uh, you know, we're getting into the fatigue of everyone being called out. It's just another case of you disagree with my opinion and you're just going to completely tear me and Jamie a part of it. I might um, set up a mailing list. Who knows? We can, you can mail us if you want. Maybe send yeah. an entranced letter to both of us. A postcard, maybe. No, because I'll end up probably getting a mail bomb or something like that. <laughs> um, Oscar sweepstakes. Congratulations to Maeve Monroe, ladies and gentlemen. Well-deserved. It was a huge, huge outpouring, wasn't it? Like, the Definitely. amount of people that, that weighed in. I'm joking, I'm joking. Um... <laughs> I, uh, you know, and we've 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 done the Oscars. Let's just touch upon it a little bit. Yeah. Maeve won it because of Richard E. Grant. And let's end the podcast on a high note. My goodness me, wasn't Richard E. Grant an absolute treasure to see at the Oscars on the red carpet in the auditorium itself? As much as I loved Olivia Coleman's speech and her reaction when she won Best Actress, and well deserved as well. Now I finally watched the favorite because she was bloody brilliant in that um seeing richard e grant grab his chest when barbara streisand came on stage and you could see him say the words oh my god it was just i, think, I, I just need, don't even know how to describe it it was just utterly beautiful mate you know what? all you need in the world ladies and gentlemen is, is you just need to find someone that's going to look at you the same way richard e grant looked at barbara streisand yeah, because the thing, there was even, like, the fact there was literally a story um, in one of the, the rags over here saying Richard E. Grant in absolute astonishment as he finally meets Barbara Streisand for an Oscar selfie. Like, he is 47 years old. I love the fact that he's getting so giddy about these sorts of things. He just kind of reminds me of, like, the cute mum that possibly turns up to your graduation ceremony and is super proud of everyone, regardless of what goes on. And Richard E. Grant is just everything wholesome in this world at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you ever feel down and despondent about things, just remember, ladies, gentlemen, and uh, everybody else uh, gracing the uh, the world, the, the little globe that we're on, um, just go and watch Richard E. Grant absolutely just fandom over Barbara Streisand. You're right. It is It is warm. It, it is. It embiggens me. It's cromulent. There's only one other moment of the Oscars that really competes, and I'm kind of hoping that you did manage to catch this. Obviously, we talked about Olivia Colman winning um, Best Actress. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. But did you see Olivia Colman's husband, who literally looked like he was about to burst into tears, when she referenced the fact that she was so thankful all the people in her life, including her husband. Honestly, that that was some wholesome shit right there. That's just absolutely beautiful. So, you know, as much as we've moaned on about <laughs> comedians attacking comedians, as much as, you know, we, we, we harp on about, we know that there are going to be people out there in certain movements that are going to relish the fact that the CEO 
of uh, Time's Up has stood down as much as, you know, there are going to be people out there that have a macabre interest and perhaps bringing in Barbara Streisand, there's going to be a Streisand effect now about uh, Detainment, which is that a film about James Bolger, you know. Let's take, let's just look at the beauty in the world. Olivia Coleman won an Oscar, okay? Richard E. Grant absolutely just fanning it all up at the Oscars, having a whale of a time. And Bowser's in charge of Nintendo. Things are going to even up, I'm sure. We'll see you next week, team. <laughs>